We often think that to have a sense of peace in our lives, we need long periods of stability and calm. Peace comes over us when we have a secure job that we keep for years. Peace is having a nice house where you're comfortable and that you can call home for many decades. Peace is having a secure investment portfolio for your retirement years, years that you also hope will be calm, stable, steady. But can we have peace when any or all of those things are threatened? Can we have peace in the midst of instability and change and even grave uncertainty? Today on Groundwork, we'll explore what it means to experience the peace of God even when the times of our lives are anything but peaceful. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, this is the middle program, program two of a short three-part series that we're doing on God's faithfulness through change. In the first program, we thought about God's presence in our lives when storms come, and also how God sometimes, like Jesus calming the storm in Mark 4 that we looked at in that first program, how sometimes God intervenes um, to head things off. But there are other situations or storms or circumstances that can linger for a while. And then the question is, then what? Where is God and can we feel any sense of peace when the storm doesn't lift right away? So when there are no quick fixes, Scott, like what you're saying, then the question is, how do we find the strength to say it is well with our souls, Mm -hmm. even though it isn't well circumstantially at that moment? And I think that's the question we're going to address today. At Calvin Seminary, Darrell, where uh, I teach preaching, my colleague John Robin and I um, use a book called The Four Pages I of remember. the Sermon. You do? Yeah, there you go. And so then, you know, the first two parts of the sermon deal with what we call trouble. And first, we look at trouble in the text. So we're preaching on a Bible text. What's going on in the text? Is there a crisis? Is there a sin? Is there a question, a tension? What's up in the air? Uh, in the text that's bringing the people in the Bible story a sense of dis-ease, a sense of discomfort. That's page one, uh, trouble in the text. When we start looking at page two, which is trouble in the world, we see that there is a thread that goes from the scripture in the time that they were actually having their trouble, that there is a trouble that actually we're going through right now. Right. So we go from the exegesis to the hermeneutic almost because we have haven't got to the application section yet. But when things feel uncertain or things that are happening, what's going on in our world? What's going on in our lives? And that's the trouble in the world that we need to look at. And basically, there really is no situation faced by the characters of the Bible that we don't still face today. And it's just a matter of naming it. And sometimes to help our students think through trouble, we sort of say, you know, every time you get up to preach, you're going to be preaching to at least some people who are having some kind of trouble in their life. And we sort of give them a list. What brings us a sense of dis-ease? What brings us a sense of discomfort in our lives? Well, here's the list. Sickness and disease unemployment and economic difficulties, terrorism and violence in society, family dysfunction and divorce, natural disasters and accidents, racism and sexism, wayward children and fractured friendships, death and loneliness. These are common human experiences for Christians too. When you said that, Scott, I thought about anxiety and depression, Mm, addictions and abuse and neglect and and these things and that we have experienced. And, and there was a wise man who once said this to me, Scott, if you haven't experienced any of these things, 
just keep living. Yeah. Because life circumstance, the human experience, it's going to definitely hit you from one time or another in your season of life. And it has a way, when it does, it has a way of causing us great internal instability. These are the events and circumstances that can cause butterflies to get let loose yeah. in your gut, you know, nervous stomach. These are the things that wake you up in the middle of the night or they keep you from falling to sleep in the first place, right? These are the things that make us sort of want to just flee to some distant shore. And as we say, I just want to get away from it all yeah. <laughs> uh, because the all of our lives is sometimes not very pleasant. So these are the things that we all know firsthand. As you just said, if you don't know it yet, hang on, stay tuned. You will. But it's common. I think it triggers for me like either a fight or a flight or a fright response. Yeah, right. And so I have different ways of coping with those things. And if I'm honest, some of those things are constructive and some of those things are not constructive. In the situations where times are uncertain, we have our trigger responses, but it's good for us to remember God in those situations because there's scripture that actually addresses how we handle those things. And a text like I'm about to read there from Isaiah 26 can be difficult to embrace when those kinds of troubles in our lives. And yet, Isaiah promises this in the 26th chapter at the third verse, you, referring to God, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. So perfect peace Scott, in my opinion, it's not something that is free of problems, free of trials, free right. of challenges. It's not something that happens when all the wonderful things are going on. I think this perfect peace is something that, you know, makes sure that it anchors you in the character of who God is. Now, where I'm from, we sing a song that it says he's a keeper. Because not only is he, it's a double meaning, not that he just keep, he's a keeper because of what he can do for you, but also that he preserves us. He keeps right. us. And because of his character of having the stability of being consistent, that's where the perfect peace comes from. Exactly. And so it doesn't, as you just said, Daryl, it doesn't mean that all your troubles dry up instantly overnight or anything like that, right? It doesn't mean that, oh, oh, now I don't, I don't even care that I have cancer. No, no, that's not what we mean by perfect peace. But we mean that there is something underneath you that holds you up even when nothing else seems to be coming through for you. You have this perfect peace. And it's instructive, Daryl, that Isaiah says, who gets this perfect peace? Those who trust in you. And then he makes it to a command. So he says, so you, you keep them in perfect peace because they trust in you. Next verse, trust. so trust, right? So now it's a command. It's an imperative because trust is a tricky thing. Trust is what you do when you don't know 100% something for sure. So if I, my son, he's 13 now, but when he turns 16, you're going to turn the keys to the car over to him. And I'm not sure if he's able to understand all the rules and be safe, but I trust that he will, or I wouldn't have gave him the keys. Right. I sit in this chair. I trust it's going to hold me up. I don't know until I actually sit. So it's a kind of a tricky thing, but you can base it on the character of God because his character is sure. Now, because God's character is sure, you can be encouraged to trust in his character and his ability to come through. 
Exactly. Uh, he is as the he is the rock eternal, as Isaiah twenty six verse four says. So when we put our trust in God, it's a sure thing for one thing, yeah. right? And it it brings us that peace, uh, a peace that passes understanding. To quote a New Testament line, a peace that you really can't explain. I mean, I think people who have been in tough circumstances. And yet who testify, we talked in the first program of this series about the, the power of testimony in the church. When somebody testifies that I just knew God was with me, even though my child was desperately sick in the hospital, it was three in the morning, but I could feel the prayers of God's yeah. people. And I, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. But I had this larger sense of peace. That is quite, quite an amazing thing. But let's uh, think a little bit more about this piece, both in terms of what it is, but also what it isn't. So stay tuned. In October, Today Devotional will look at the virtues and vices described in the Bible. Virtues help us grow into our God-given destiny, to live into the fullness of what God intends for us. Vices, on the other hand, work against that destiny. A virtue is something to grow into, a vice is something to grow out of. These become marks of our spiritual maturity as we set aside vice in favor of virtue, while being careful to avoid the spiritual pride that results from becoming too focused on our own virtues. Join today in October for a devotional series, Virtues Over Vices. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And we're in program two of a three-part series on God's constancy, God's faithfulness through the changes of our lives. And we just had that verse from Isaiah 26, Daryl, that God keeps in perfect peace those who trust in him. And that perfect peace that people, we were just talking about, people can testify to this, though they can't explain it. It's one of the greatest things ever. But, you know, um, in our lives, in discipleship and in the Christian faith, the more wonderful something is, the more there is the possibility that somebody will try to counterfeit it. And that can be true of peace as well. Yes. So our enemy, he's always trying to counterfeit or bring a cheaper generic version of what God offers in the excellent and pure forms. And so the prophet Jeremiah, he actually speaks on this. In the sixth chapter of Jeremiah, and starting at verse 13, it says, From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. So this is a counterfeit kind of peace. This is a cheap kind of peace. Jeremiah specifically here in Jeremiah 6 is lamenting the lack of, of covenant faithfulness, particularly in the leaders of Israel, but also in the people of Israel and the leaders in particular. And this is just before the people are led into exile, right, because of their breaking covenant with God. So the leaders of the people are trying to cover up their own sin, their own corruption by saying to the people, Oh, don't, don't, don't trouble your little heads about us. We got this thing, you know, we're peace, peace. Everything's fine. We're, we're, we're following God. You're following God. It's all, it's all good. But it was all fake. It's actually patronizing to the people to tell them there's peace when there really isn't peace. And it's painful because you can't build your faith on that. So then when we have these situations where we have funerals and they say, oh, he's he's in a better place or she's resting now. Like those things are true. But when you say them in a situation that 
I'm not feeling peaceful in, then it doesn't really help me to hear those words because I still have to work through what it means for my faith and for my transition and journey to find the peace that God is trying to get to me in troubling times. Exactly. Uh, You can't really have the perfect peace that Isaiah talked about if you're living in disobedience to God, right? Perfect peace comes to those who trust in God, and if you trust in God, you obey God, and you follow God's ways. That wasn't happening in Jeremiah's day. But then, right, you're, you're right. There's that verse 14 of Jeremiah 6, that they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Or I think some translations say they, they dress the wound lightly. Right. And it's sort of the idea that, you know, there's a real wound here. I mean, somebody's bleeding bad, and you come up with a band aid and say, slap that on. It's, you know, and the guy is still bleeding, right? You didn't, you're dressing the wound lightly. You're, You're treating it like it's not serious when it clearly is. Again, in Jeremiah's time, that was in terms of, you know, covenant breaches and faithlessness on the part of the people. But, you know, as you just said, Daryl, Sometimes we dress people's wounds lightly. Uh, we try to kind of take one of those yellow uh, smiley face stickers and just sort yeah. of plop it on top of somebody's pain as though it's, you know, what they're going through is, is no big deal. So just be calm, be at peace. Put on a happy faith, as some church signs sometimes yeah. say, right? Be as happy as the praise team looks this morning. You know, if you got problems, don't take it into church with you. Hang it up with your coat in the lobby and then come into church happy. That's fake peace because that's like trying to take a shortcut to peace. It actually can breed an unhealthy sense of spiritual denial Mm. to act like it isn't happening and to ignore the pain, the sorrow, the grief, the regrets, the disquiet in us, the dissonance that we feel. That is never healthy. And so I never as as a pastor would ever counsel people to just get over it because I could easily minimize how big a problem that is for them. I don't think it's a good idea to minimize people's pain and struggles. And Jeremiah is making it clear that they shouldn't do that either. We all want peace, but if you go to peace too quickly, you you end up hurting somebody probably. If you try to shove somebody to some fake sense of serenity, like, oh, yeah, no big deal that my husband died. No big deal. You know, turn your eyes on Jesus and the things of earth grow strangely dim. Well, the things of earth have a way of uh, staying fairly bright. When we're in the middle of, uh, of her, right? And just looking to Jesus isn't going to make it all better, not immediately. Uh, so we don't want to dress wounds lightly uh, as though they're not serious. But let's admit, Daryl, this you can see why we're tempted to do that. It's neater. It's, yeah. it's tidier, right? Living with pain and still seeking the peace of God, that's messy. That, that creates a tension. If you're a believer that wants to follow the Lord, you cannot close your eyes and ears to the pain and sorrow. Not only do you feel it, but you also experience it in the community of believers. Mm. So I think lament is the way to go because in lament, you hold two things in tension. Number one, the world is broken. And number two, God is good. So it's not compromising on any one of these, not that the problems are equal with God, but the point is we struggle with the, okay, these answers are not here right now. And we're trusting God to help us through a process that we don't get the answer immediately, but we're still trusting in the character and the goodness of God to help us in our trials. That's why Lamentations is a very powerful book to me, Scott. Yep. And as we've noted before on Groundwork, the irony of like Psalms of lament is that the psalmists lament God's apparent absence to God's face. Uh, God, you've left me, but I'm talking to you. Um, And I'm uh, singing about it. And I'm singing about it. Um, You know, a friend of mine who died recently, he was a man who um, felt 
everything very, very deeply himself. He also had enormous empathy. I mean, he could feel other people's pain and shared sorrows. If I shared sorrows with him, every fiber of his being told me he was all there for me. I never once saw him dismiss anyone's pain lightly. He took it seriously. And yet, he ended a lot of conversations with me when we were talking about heavy stuff by clamping a, his hand on my shoulder and saying, joy cometh in the morning, okay? Right? And he was taking that from Psalm 30, verse 5. Yep. His favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And uh, that's a, a great line. So I do want to say this, Scott, that it doesn't literally mean in 24 hours right. you're going to be fine or when the sun comes up, it's going to be fine. But it is a process that God is walking us through that he can show us peace when it's uncertain but he doesn't have to remove the problem in order to show us his character of peace. And when we close this program, we're going to talk a little bit more about this angle of peace in a different way. So stay tuned for that. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. Daryl, let's dig right into a passage that, for many of us, uh, is about as familiar a Bible verse as we know. It's these well-known words of blessing from Numbers 6, verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Oh, this one's very familiar to me because at the end of every sermon, I give this blessing to the people. It's mm -hmm. pronounced not from me. It's from the Lord through the preacher and it's spoken over their lives in order for them to receive the peace in the midst of them going out into the world and being light and being a witness. They're reminded that the peace of God goes with them. A friend of mine who used to be a chaplain at Calvin College, uh, now Calvin University, sometimes we had these uh, morning worship services in the Fine Arts Center Auditorium, the student-led services, and there would always be some guys way up in the balcony who would duck out before the benediction because they wanted to get first in line for food for Sunday noon dinner <laughs> at the Commons Dining Hall, right? And that used to really irk my friend. He said, you know, if the blessing at the end were the only part of the worship service you caught, it would still be worth coming. Right, Because yes. to have these words spoken over you, we call this the Aaronic benediction because it was given to Aaron, who was the high priest at the time, and to his sons. Uh, but when I was a kid, I thought it was the Aaronic benediction. I thought that's what it was. And maybe there is a sense in which it's ironic, right? Maybe there is a sense of irony because, Daryl, you just said you, you speak this at the end of all, all your services and sermons. I've spoken this blessing I don't know how many times, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of times too as a pastor. But every week when we do that, Daryl, as pastors, we know this blessing is being received by people who are not in a peaceful place, uh, which we've been talking about in this episode, right? We're wishing them peace, but we're fully aware that they're not feeling it right now. 
what I normally say when I talk about that is that it's a faith statement for those who are not receiving mm. the manifestation of the true peace, mm. the deep comfort that comes with that peace that we're pronouncing over them. If they're not experiencing that in their life currently, then it's a faith statement where you speak those things that are not as though they were. And it helps them to actually have hope for the week, even though the last week could have been very intense. Right. And as we've just said, you can have this, what Isaiah called in the 26th chapter that we looked at earlier in the program, you can have this perfect peace even in the midst of difficulties that don't lift right away. Joy may come in the morning, but it could be a distant morning. But it's also instructive that the last word of this benediction that many of us have heard and uh, said and spoken over people is peace, but it's that, that Hebrew word shalom, yes. which means so much more than just lack of conflict. I've been thinking a lot about this word, shalom, and the way that I define it is that everything is in its right order. There's nothing missing. There's nothing broken and everything is whole. Of course, our world is not like that right now, which is it speaks to the ironic thing that you just mentioned, Scott. So we're telling them peace. We're pronouncing peace over them in their lives that God gives in the midst of a world that he's not going to pull them out of. They have to go back into this world and be light and witnesses. But it's ironic because they're not seeing the manifestation of the peace immediately, even though they have this opportunity to be a light and witness. Exactly. And it's a reminder, you know, in the first program of the series, Darrell, we talked about prayer and singing and, and also meditating on Scripture. And we do those things to get some of that stuff deep into our spiritual DNA, deep into our bones. Uh, and again, hearing this blessing week after week after week kind of it settles into you like a happy residue after a while. And you can remember it even when you're not having a peaceful stretch of life. But what's it grounded in? Where do we get this? It's because the Lord makes his face to shine on you. Yes. The Lord turns his face toward you. And in the ancient world, in the uh, ancient Near East, if there was a sovereign, a king or a pharaoh or a queen or, or, or some you know majestic figure, if you came into their throne room, you would bow down. You would, you would have your face to the ground right, in, in, in respect and in humility. But if the leader liked you, if the leader wanted to convey the king or the pharaoh, whoever, that things were good between you, they would cup your chin in their hand and lift your face up so that your eyes would meet their eyes. Their face would shine on you as a symbol of saying things are good between us. And this blessing says that's what God does for us. And that's going to be where the shalom comes from. And it's interesting that you say that because I had an echo from Exodus 33 and 34 when the, the Bible says that Moses spoke to God as one speaks face to face mm -hmm. with a friend. And so the fact that the intimacy is there and the fact that the peace comes from the relationship and the close proximity of being in the face of God and the favor that comes upon that, these are the things we draw strength from when we have uncertain times and when we feel discouraged that even though those things aren't changing, we have a connection to a God who is intimately involved looking at us and definitely connected to us. You know, the preacher Tom Long once told the story that he was asked to preach at an intergenerational family worship service. And the idea was to hold the service in the fellowship hall where families would gather at tables laden with all the fixings to make homemade bread. And then once the bread was made, it would get baked. And so the hall would fill up with that wonderful aroma of baking bread. The preacher would preach a sermon on family unity. And then when the bread came out, they'd use it to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as Tom Long said, it was a great idea. 
on paper, but it turned into chaos. Uh, as people began moving the flour around, the whole fellowship hall was a haze of flour dust. Children threw some balls of dough at the preacher that bounced <laughs> off Tom Long's new suit. The ovens didn't work quite right. It took forever for the bread to bake. So by the time it was done, families were actually falling apart all over the fellowship hall. Children were crying. It was terrible. The service ended mercifully. The script called for Reverend Long to utter the words that sounded pretty ironic in that chaos, the peace of God be with you. But he, he said he was too irritable to say anything else or, or try to come up with something different. So he just spoke it as written, the peace of God be with you, he said. And suddenly from the back of the hall came the high voice of a child who said, it already is. In the midst <laughs> of the chaos, the peace of God, it's already here. In the middle of the chaos, we need to remember who God is and the character that he has. He doesn't have to remove those problems in order to have his character shine through. And so that's something we can thank God for. Well, thank you for listening and digging into scripture with Groundwork. Join us again next time as we conclude our series about God's constant faithfulness in our ever-changing times. Connect with us now at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information and to find out more resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Daryl Delaney and Scott Jose. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.